Well, good morning, everyone. Now, please open your Bibles, if you've got them there, to the book of Titus. We've been working our way through this this little book, packed with so many things. And uh, this week, where we we continue where we left off last week, when we began looking at the standard of godliness for younger women, that is, those women who are between marriageable age up to about 60 years old. So, let's start our time now by reading Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, and we begin with verse 3, uh, because it is in the context of uh, learning about the standards of godliness for younger women that uh, we recognise it as the older women who are tasked with uh, encouraging them in that. So Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Well, last week we uh, looked through the first four standards of godliness for younger women, And I was planning on dealing with these last three standards today, but as I began my studies, it it quickly became apparent that due respect and consideration needed to be offered to these matters. And so our focus today will simply be on standard number five, that younger women are to be working at home. Now, these words are very clear. Uh, That's not the issue when we consider these words. It's not their ambiguity that is the problem, but rather their clarity. Uh, They are so clear and they stand so clearly against everything that the Western world has been advocating for the last few generations. Uh, In their book, God's Design for Man and Woman, uh, evangelical scholars uh, Andreas and Margaret Kotzenberger They provide a clear summary uh, of the workings and the developments of the feminist movement since its beginnings in the 19th century, in the early 19th century. Now, on the positive side, uh, feminism played a major part in the women's suffrage movement that that brought about the important change in society of of a woman's legal right to vote. That's a good thing, we would all agree. However, incorporated uh, into those beginnings was a decided attempt to undermine, rewrite or remove entirely portions of scripture uh, that spoke anything on the submission of women, particularly in the home and in the church. As the movement uh, has advanced in different phases throughout the 20th century uh, up until today, It has brought with it an outright attack on marriage, on the family, on gender distinctions, on sexuality, on gender identity. Um, The issue of abortion is also directly connected to this as well uh, because it's been made a woman's rights matter. And despite all the destruction that feminism has generated, Many in the church have bought into this notion uh, that there should be no distinction between the roles. Now, not the the value, but the roles uh, that men and women carry out. Uh, Now, this is not surprising in in liberal circles. 
but the majority of evangelical churches have pushed this as well. And they say that commands like uh, this, which we'll look at today, are merely an ancient cultural issue that we've moved beyond now in our enlightened society. But, but would Christians say that loving one's spouse is irrelevant today? Uh, would Christians say that slander is no longer to be avoided anymore? We're now enlightened, so we can slander, that's fine. Well, no, we wouldn't discard those as being antiquated, and we find all these things in the same list as being current for today as well. Now, of course, the other standards help to understand the fifth. Working at home is part of how a younger godly woman uh, shows her love for her husband and her children. Kindness uh, is the attitude that is to permeate the younger woman as she sets about the task that God has given her for his glory. Now remember, we are talking here about those who are married. If they have a husband, they are to love him. For those of you who have been thinking ahead to this morning's service with some trepidation, uh, wondering what I would say, well, let me just reassure you that there is nothing to fear in the commandments of godliness that God has established for his people. You see, there are all sorts of things the Bible teaches that are in direct contrast to what the world advocates at any given uh, time in history. But as believers, uh, we can have confidence that regardless of what the world thinks, if we seek to follow the commands of God, there will be great blessing. In John 10, 10, Jesus declared, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life is found in obedience to the word of Christ, the Holy Scriptures. Now, I want to approach this aspect of a younger woman's godliness by addressing two questions uh, this morning. And the first thing to ask is, what does the Bible say about a woman's work at home. And here we are simply trying to interpret what the phrase working at home means. So let's start here. So what does the Bible say about a woman's work at home? Well, when Paul says that older women are to train the younger women to be working at home, our English phrase is actually a, a compound word in the original language. Uh, this means that there, there are two Greek words that are kind of joined together to form one new word. And the first word is oikos, and it means house or home. Uh, in the Bible, it is used literally to describe uh, the place that a person lives, uh, that is their house. Um, but it's also used figuratively to describe a family grouping, that is, their household. In the letter to Titus, uh, Paul has already given us one use of the word oikos. And when he spoke about what needed to happen to the false teachers, saying in chapter 1, verse 11, <clears throat> they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families, that is, they are upsetting entire households. So that's the first word. The second word is ergon, and it means a work, a deed, an achievement, or an action. 
Uh, thinking of the false teachers again in, in Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Paul writes concerning them that they, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Uh, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. In a positive sense for believers, <clears throat> Paul speaks about good works numerous times throughout this letter. And this emphasis is seen in the summary command at the end of the letter. In uh, chapter 3, verse 14. The second to last verse of this book, Paul says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. <laughs> Alright, so having looked at the, the words, uh, well, the use of the words home and works, what does Paul mean when he combines these terms to say that younger women are to be working at home? Well, it means that a woman's priority is to be her home. Now, this doesn't mean that she's to be confined to her house, but it means that her God-given priority is to look after her household. For instance, the excellent wife described in Proverbs 31, uh, and we're going to refer back to this chapter. Uh, we, we preached that in full a couple of months ago. We're going to refer back to this chapter a lot today. Well, this, this woman described there, uh, presumably had to leave the house to do some of the things that were mentioned. Uh, in, in Proverbs 31, verses 13 to 14, we read that she seeks wool and flax, and then she brings her food from afar. And of course, she did all of this before Woolworths introduced their home delivery service, so she had to go out and get it. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. And again, she managed to do this before realestate.com was established. Now, to be working at home also doesn't mean that the woman is acting with godliness if she stays at home but fills up her time sleeping in or watching daytime TV or, or gossiping on the phone. No, she is to be at work in the home. Again, the excellent wife of Proverbs 31 provides the example. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. The statement then that a woman's place is in the home is therefore not biblically accurate. The truth, the biblical picture, is that a woman's profession is in the home. The work that a woman does for her household is a major way in which she fulfills all that Paul speaks of throughout the letter to Titus concerning good works. So to think of Paul's command as merely confining a woman's activities is to fail to present the picture in all of its fullness. For in a positive sense, Paul is also concentrating a woman's attention. This is to be her priority. It is a woman's high calling from God to look after her home and her household. In 1 Timothy 2.15, Paul states of the woman... <clears throat> Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness 
with self-control. Now we have uh, uh, preached through that verse earlier in our series on Titus and we've seen there that childbearing is a summary, a word that kind of summarizes everything uh, that is involved in looking after the household. And that part of what it means for her to be saved is that God has enabled women a way of being saved from the stigma of Eve's sinful disobedience in that they now have the privilege of raising godly children. And this is an extraordinary honour and it's an incredible responsibility. We've also seen in, in previous sermons on Titus that at least one aspect of the false teacher's rhetoric was, was aimed at disparaging marriage, of, of tearing it apart. And this contributed to upsetting many households. I mean, how much more so in the modern era is the, has this upsetting of households continued? As women have been sold the poisoned candy of the feminist movements, which have tried to turn completely upside down what God has graciously set in place. Women are told that it's oppressive to focus their attention on the home. And they they can only reach their full potential if they try and have it all. But this simply leaves women feeling confused and frustrated and it later brings about much regret. Only this week, uh, Crystal and I were just making friendly chit-chat with a lady and at the time our two little boys were just running around the place doing what they do. And it obviously caused her to, uh, to think about her own kids. And so she suddenly brought out her phone and started showing us pictures of her adult children. We don't even speaking for about a minute or two. But you could hear the regret in her voice as she spoke about how well her children were doing, but how she'd entirely missed being involved in their lives as they were growing up. Because each time she, she had these children... She went back to work two weeks after they were born and then the children were essentially raised by their grandparents uh, for their whole lives. I don't think this woman was a believer, but it doesn't really matter because this kind of thing uh, is becoming more and more prevalent within the church as well. You see, influenced by the developments in society, some Christians have, have tried to revise the clear teaching of Scripture to accommodate these cultural changes. You may have come across words like egalitarianism or evangelical feminism. I won't ask you to spell those later. But these are, these are Bible-believing Christians. There's no doubt about that. They hold up the word of God as inerrant and inspired. But they've unfortunately been deceived into thinking that the Bible does not teach that God has divinely set in place the distinction in roles between men and women. Again, not in value, but in roles. But you see, accommodation to the world is never a good starting point for exegesis of Scripture, on any matter of Scripture. And it always leads to obscure interpretations of clear texts, and it generates confusion and heartbreak in the home. I mean, how could it not? If God has designed us a certain way, Uh, then what do we think is going to happen if we decide to live in a manner that is contrary to the way that God has declared to be good? God has declared 
that younger women are to be working in the home and that is an essential way in which she grows in godliness, in the way she pleases the Lord. But let's flesh this out a little more. Naturally, there will be different stages in family life. When children are very young, uh, you can't even walk from room to room without having them attached to you or following you. Um, As children get older and and go to school, there is more freedom during the day to do other things. Now, this will obviously be different for the the woman who wants to homeschool her children, but even then, uh, the older the children get, the more independent they become. A woman whose children have left the home will have even more free time throughout the day. But it's not simply a stage of life that brings different levels of freedom. For our stage in history has a big impact as well. In comparison to to biblical times, uh, a woman now has far more freedom in the home just because of technological developments. Uh, There is time for other things because today we have fridges and freezers and ovens and microwaves and washing machines and dryers, computers, mobile phones and cars and we could keep going. Some of you are old enough to remember what life was like before these things were invented. And that is a good thing because it can generate perspective and it can generate gratitude for the good things that have been invented to make life better. There are those here today who who may have at one time seen some odd pictures of of something that kind of looked like a phone, but it had this strange cord thing coming out of it, which was then attached to a wall. We lose perspective when we grow up in, in certain eras. So there are different stages in life and, and there may be technological developments that we will be greatly uh, benefited by. But nevertheless... Regardless of the freedoms that may come, a woman's priority is always to be her home. This means that her husband and her children are the greatest ministry endeavour she will ever be called to do. Not the only, but the greatest. In Proverbs 31 verse 23, the, the work of the excellent wife enables her husband to be known in the gates. He has that reputation because of his wife. In verse 21, her hard work to provide for her children means that she is not afraid when the snow comes. And by extension, neither is her family. They feel secure because of her wonderful sacrificial provision. And what joy uh, there will be for a woman when she looks back on her life of service to her family, knowing that she has fulfilled the call of God on her life. The legacy of a godly household is an extraordinary blessing. Proverbs 31 verses 28 to 29 read, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So what's better? Praise from the world or praise from your husband and your children? And of even greater blessing than these is praise from Christ Jesus. Remember his his parable of the talents in Matthew 25? What did the master say to the workers uh, who did what was expected of them? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
enter the joy of your master. Then we'll see in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, we read in Revelation 22 verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. God calls us to be faithful to him. And what blessing there is in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. But while a a married woman's greatest uh, ministry is her family, this does not mean that her family is the only ministry she will ever have. Through her working at home, she may be a great blessing to others. Again, look to the excellent wife of Proverbs 31. Or in verse 20, we are told, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Hospitality is a glorious aspect of serving Christ by serving others. We also recognize that that Christian women have many other spiritual gifts that that can be used for edifying the body of Christ and uh, for evangelizing the world. There are many capacities that godly women can use their gifts. Now, a word of caution is needed, though, and this really is a word of caution for all of us, uh, all Christians, because in our sinfulness, we can manage to turn anything good into an idol, including ministry. With reference to younger married women, it's very important that involvement in ministry is never allowed to distract you from the main priority of your family. So we might say that that serving others is not to take priority over serving your family. And yet, like the Proverbs 31 woman demonstrates, serving family is neither to be used as an excuse for not serving others. And so prayer for God's wisdom and discernment is very much needed in this. Now, can a woman seek to do professional work outside of the home? Well, we certainly cannot answer with a blanket no. For example, what about the the divorcee or the widow who must seek employment to provide for her family's needs? What about the married woman whose husband is suffering from a long-term illness or a disability and is unable to work? But even in these instances, we recognise that that is not the ideal And moreover, that these situations do not negate the primary call of a woman to be working at home. And so, as as biological families, um, we should be thinking hard about ways we can support our relatives who are in such circumstances. And if there are no family connections, then as the spiritual family, the church must do all it can to support and this is, is one area that would certainly fall under the mercy ministries of the church. As 1 Timothy 5 verse 16 states, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So there's a biological emphasis there and there's a spiritual emphasis there. And we should not neglect these responsibilities. But what about other reasons for why younger married women may seek work? Well, what if the wife can earn more than the husband and so the husband stays at home and looks after the kids? Well, to be frank, that would seem to be in direct contradiction to Paul's command here in Titus. And would also seem to directly contradict what Jesus states in Matthew 6 about the love 
of money. What about the need for a wife to work as well as the husband because the price of living is so expensive? Well, I certainly don't want to put pressure on those who genuinely struggle to pay the bills. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, does this reason stem from the price of living or from the price of the living we desire? In many instances, the wife must work because how else can the family afford the Foxtel subscription, the golf membership, the private school fees, the weekly dinner out, the yearly overseas holiday and the best presents at Christmas? else are we going to afford all those things christian families need to prayerfully consider the motivations behind the wife seeking work outside of the home and seriously with the prospect of greater persecution for western christians on the immediate horizon it might be a good idea to start getting used to living with less privileges now the excellent wife of proverbs 31 does involve herself in economic pursuits verse 16 she buys a field and plants a vineyard in verse 18 we learn that her merchandise is profitable then in verse 24 we read that she makes linen garments and sells them and she delivers sashes to the merchant and while the different stages of life will open up more opportunity for a woman to seek employment outside of the home Her primary calling is to look after her household. And so even when she is freer to work, it is for the blessing of the household. Now, even if a woman avoids the trap of selfishly seeking work to build herself up, it is also important not to fall into a different trap of thinking that bringing more money into the family is what will truly bring her husband and her children blessing. Dear women, your families need you. They don't need more stuff. They need you. They don't need to know that the world knows your name. They need you. And if your work outside the home is hindering your ability to care for your home and your household, to bring your children up to know the Lord, to attend church with your children, to invest yourself in their lives, to make your home a place that that offers hospitality to those in need, then I pray that you do not wait until years from now to do something about that. Seek the Lord, trust his work, and make a change now. For the older women, you have been given the task, the divine task of training younger women to be workers in the home. God has blessed you with experience Some of you may be able to teach out of the good choices that you have made. Some of you may be able to teach out of the bad choices that you have made and have learned from. And no doubt every one of you will have a little wisdom from both of these aspects. But don't waste those lessons. It is part of your call to godliness that you get alongside those women who are younger than you and encourage them in their godliness okay the second question we need to ask then is what does the bible say about a woman's work in society now in the last couple of years uh, there has been a real debate uh, on this matter going on within complementarian circles now that's another big word but it basically means uh, those who believe that men and women complement 
each other. That is, they all believe in the equality of being between men and women, but also believe in the distinction of roles in the home and in the church. That's what complementarian means. That's the position uh, in our statement of faith at this church. And we must recognise that within complementarian circles, we're the only ones asking this question. Because those who don't believe there is a divinely ordained distinction in the roles between men and women in the home and the church, well, they're not asking questions about whether there are distinctions in society between men and women. Their only issue is that there continues to be some distinctions in the workplace at all. So, to ask this question is to recognise it's a debate among friends, right? And we're all trying to figure out how we are to be faithful to God in this area. And the real question at the heart of this is, do gender distinctions carry past the home and the church and then into society? Now, this is where the debate among friends rests. And the reason for the debate is that the Bible does not offer uh, detailed, specific statements on this matter. And so we need to apply more general biblical principles. And we shouldn't be surprised that we have to deal with something new. Uh, Each generation faces developments in society and therefore must go back to the scriptures to, to figure out how to apply biblical principles uh, to the world in their given moment. Now, biblical truth, of course, does not change. However, the situations we face do. And so, in the time we have left, I want to try and lay out a biblical framework. Now, please be aware that greater minds than mine are still working through this issue. So, it's, it's not something that's easy, and it's not something that's completely settled, But just because it's hard, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and address it. But I also want you to be aware that that because we're seeking to apply biblical principles, I happily acknowledge that, that I may be wrong in some of these aspects. This is me trying to provide some guidance by showing you my own working through of this matter. And no doubt, it's probably going to raise more questions, But it's better to be wrestling with these questions rather than ignoring them. We should always endeavour to grow in our faithfulness to God, never resting on our laurels and thinking, oh, surely we've thought through that enough, so we'll just kick the rest under the carpet. And so I pray this will be of help to you. And if anyone wants to discuss this or anything else that we've looked at this morning, then I'd be more than happy to sit down with an open Bible and and continue to work through these things together at another time. All right, well, I want to lay out for you seven biblical principles for understanding the role of godly women in the workplace. And please don't read anything into the number seven either. This is not some divine list that just dropped out of heaven. Uh, This is simply my attempt at trying to think through this matter biblically. Now, we don't have the time this morning to expand in great detail upon each point, uh, but hopefully they're clear enough and will give you a lot to think about. And so uh, the reason we have a PowerPoint this morning is so that we can have them up on the screen. And if you want a copy of them afterwards, uh, please come and see me as I've made some photocopies. All right, so point number one. 
The role of godly women in the workplace is a question raised, especially in modern times, because the home life, work life dynamic has changed significantly since the first century. And these changes have come in a relatively short time span, as it was only from the 18th century when the prominence of a rural agrarian culture began to be replaced with an urban industrial culture. Right, so the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that home and work are separated in our generation far more than they were in biblical times or even up until the last 200 years. And so we need to think hard about how to approach this matter with biblical wisdom. This first point is simply acknowledging our time in history and the questions that we face. Number two, the divine design of men and women has always been attacked by the devil, for since the Garden of Eden he has sought to undermine it, leading men and women astray away from God's blessings and casting doubt on God's goodness. So Adam and Eve were both equally created in the image and likeness of God, and yet they were divinely assigned different tasks. Adam served as head and Eve as his suitable helper. This was attacked in the garden when the serpent, an animal whom Adam and Eve were to rule over, he undermined the divine design by approaching the woman. And ever since the fall, men and women are still equally created in the image and likeness of God, although this image has been tarnished by sin. And their role distinctions have also been hindered by sin. Instead of respectfully submitting to their husbands, women will seek to be the authority. Instead of sacrificially leading their wives, husbands will be prone to harshness. So this was the curse of the fall instituted by God, but Satan continues to try and push men and women further into sin and calling them away from the promises found in God's word. Point number three. Men and women are men and women in all spheres of their lives. And since they have been divinely created to complement one another, this would suggest that their suitability for different tasks extends beyond the home and the church and into society as well. So you don't stop being a man or a woman the minute you walk out of the front doors of this building. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, Paul writes this, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and a man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, this quote is from the the New American Standard Bible, uh, because if you look in the ESV, it has translated uh, man and woman as husband and wife. And I don't think that's needed, because I think Paul was making a clear statement about the divine distinctions between men and women. But the mention of God being the head of Christ is deliberately placed there to show that while there may be differences in function or in role, uh, this doesn't mean a difference in being. While the Father and the Son have different roles, the Father is not greater than the Son. And so while men and women may have different roles, men are not greater than women. And so it would seem to be a difficult thing then to completely limit these differences between men and women to the home and to the church. Okay, number four. While there are biblical examples of women at work in society, in and of themselves, they do not provide enough information to form a clear understanding of the tasks appropriate for godly women in the workplace. 
And so we should be careful not to use these examples to make sweeping statements about the acceptability or the unacceptability of what godly women are able to do. Now, just to give one example, we read in Acts chapter 16 that a woman named Lydia was converted by the preaching of the Apostle Paul uh, and it says in verse 14 that she was a seller of purple goods. But that's all it says about her work life. It doesn't make any value judgment on what she did. It doesn't say whether she continued in that trade after she was converted. So it's difficult to say much at all, other than that before she was a Christian, she was a seller of purple goods. All right, number five. And we're going through these quickly. These are points, and if you want to have a copy of them, come and see me afterwards. But number five. In thinking about the work of godly women outside of the home and the church, a transitional step is to consider parachurch organisations and to recognise that there is a difference between a parachurch organisation and a church, but that the parachurch organisation is to follow biblical instructions when it does things that would normally be done by a church. Uh, So this uh, point has been put forward by... Uh, a well-known theologian, Wayne Grudem, and uh, I think it's very helpful for here because a parachurch organisation is a Christian group that operates alongside local churches for a specific ministry. For example, Prison Fellowship would be a parachurch organisation. People from different churches uh, with a a particular uh, focus join together to do something that local churches in themselves may not be able to do. Now, these parachurch organisations, they're not churches, but if, for instance, they happen to share the Lord's Supper occasionally together, then they should not do it contrary to the pattern established in 1 Corinthians 11. Just the same, if women were given leadership roles, these should not reflect the characteristics of elders in the church, such as exercising pastoral authority over men or being tasked with preaching to men. For that would be contrary to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Alright, number 6. In thinking about the work of godly women in society, it's necessary to recognise that there is a difference between a church body and a civic workplace, but that godly men and women should nonetheless refrain from acting in ways that deny their God-given masculinity or femininity. So it doesn't seem that the biblical evidence rules out every instance of a woman holding a leadership position in the workplace. A secular boss does not usually relate to her employees as a shepherd to his flock. She's not exercising pastoral oversight. And I haven't yet heard of a secular workplace where they allow expository sermons to be preached at the weekly board meeting. If we say that a woman cannot exercise any leadership in the workplace, then, then we need to follow this through to the, to the logical conclusion, which would mean that woman, women couldn't do any work in any sphere. And the reason for this is simple. You see, even if a woman was simply an employee in the workplace, uh, avoiding the issue of having uh, authority over the men that she works with, in many instances, she will nevertheless exercise leadership over, them, over men, at least to some degree. For example, if a woman is a nurse, uh, she will have some authority over her male patients as she treats them during their stay in the hospital. Even in the church, we see this. 
A church uh, might have a female Sunday school coordinator. Most churches would. And one of the teachers that she coordinates may be a male. Now, is that inappropriate? Well, of course not. While she is the leader, the coordinator of that group, in her role, she's not exercising pastoral authority over her co-worker. So you can see how things can easily be taken too far if uh, we are not thoughtful about it. Now, having said all of that, Godly men and women should, nevertheless, be careful to honour the way that God has created them and honour the way that God has created others. Now that's really not easy to do, especially in a society that is doing all it can to destroy God's design of gender. Uh, John Piper, the well-known US pastor and theologian, he's done a lot of work in trying to think through this matter And one of the things he stated is this. To the degree that a woman's leadership of man is personal, it needs to be non-directive. And to the degree that it is directive, it needs to be impersonal. Let me just say that again. To the degree that a woman's leadership of a man is personal, it needs to be non-directive. And to the degree that it is directive, it needs to be impersonal. Now, uh, that quote I've, I've put down on the sheet of papers that I've made copy of, if you want that. Is that all that might be said on this matter? No. Uh, does that solve all the possible scenarios in a workplace? Probably not. But I think it is at least a, a very helpful starting point given by a complementarian who is deeply affectionate of God's word and deeply passionate about seeing Christian men and women grow in godliness through all areas of their lives. Alright, number seven. This is the last point. Ultimately, redeemed men and women should be concerned about growing in godliness. And so this means asking serious questions about how their career choices will either help them or hinder them in this essential task. Now, Much more could be said on this point as much more could have been said on the other points. But I think this uh, point number seven here seems simple enough. In all areas of our lives, as people who have been graciously made members of God's household through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to work hard at growing to be more like Christ and to do so in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit prompts us through the word uh, that there is something in our lives that is not honouring God, something that is not helping us grow in godliness, then we must be willing to let it go for God's glory, no matter what that is. God has said uh, that older women are to teach younger women to be working at home. This is to be a young married woman's primary focus and she should strive at it with all of her heart. And we spent a great deal of time on this subject this morning, not because the standard of godliness is unclear, but because it is so clear. It's so clear that it sounds like a gunshot into the cacophony of voices in society offering women a better alternative. But the clarity of God's word makes the choice very simple. 
Do we believe that God has revealed the way for his people to live or do we not? Beloved, as we've said last week, God is both trustworthy and good. And so there is no reason whatsoever to doubt that the call that he places on each of our lives will not lead to our blessing and to his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be illuminating our hearts and minds as we've studied these words this morning. Uh, We've only looked at one standard of godliness and we realise how that fits into all the other standards of godliness for younger women, but we recognise its clarity and how that uh, hits up against uh, all that we are taught Uh, in society and so we pray that you would give us grace and understanding Uh, we pray that you would help us help help work within us by the power of your spirit a deep desire to grow in godliness and be transformed uh, to the image and likeness of your son jesus our savior and redeemer Uh, please help this desire for godliness And our desire to honour you and give you glory be the thing that spurs us on each and every day. As we think about uh, what we've talked about this morning, but as we think about that in every aspect of our lives, may we seek to bring you glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.